reading of the Scriptures from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. So, uh, hear the word of the Lord from these, uh, this passage in Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, <clears throat> they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All of us uh, spend time uh, and perhaps money on uh, how we look. And there's nothing wrong with that. We, uh, uh, some of us are beyond that, but leave that to, to yourself. But try as we might, uh, nothing can be fixed. But, but nonetheless, we, uh, uh, as we do that, perhaps we should also, uh, on occasion, uh, wonder about how our church looks. What do we look like? Uh, and I think there's a wonderful uh, mirror in this text uh, uh, this morning as to uh, how we should look, uh, what we should aspire to, as each of us as a believer priests uh, cares uh, for the body uh, and edification of the body in love. Uh, the context of our passage this morning is uh, the response to the uh, outpouring of uh, the Holy Spirit. And, and all that that theology means. Uh, part, uh, part one of the outpouring uh, brings conviction and salvation to those who are outside the faith. Uh, this is a part two of uh, the effects of the outpouring of the Spirit uh, and engages the uh, attitudes and the practices of those within the faith, uh, of those who are uh, members of the body of Christ. There are practices and attitudes that, uh, that I commend to you that we, we should exhibit uh, as, as members of the body of Christ. And uh, obviously, we exhibit them by the outpouring of the Spirit. The Spirit uh, came in uh, Acts, but uh, the Spirit is poured out in our hearts. We come to faith. So it's a work of grace, uh, a great work of the Spirit. Uh, and that's really the key to this entire passage. We're, uh, we're looking at the first century church and what it looks like uh, caused by the Spirit. The grace of God in the Spirit. Uh, and absent the Spirit, all is, all is fakery and counterfeits. Uh, if we ever lose that sense of Grace Bible Church, we will descend into uh, nominalism, uh, going through the motions, and, and uh, uh, soon we will, we will begin to fade. And so it's important that uh, every day of every week, and certainly every Sunday, we should pray uh, that in our presence there would be the presence of another, namely the Great Spirit, 
drawing attention uh, to the great Savior and uh, advancing as to uh, what we look like, perhaps according to this particular text. There's a remarkable contrast in, in this immediate passage. Uh, it's the contrast to the second temple Judaism, temple worship. And it's all religion, it's all liturgy, it's all practice. And uh, the hearts of the people are cold. And God uh, is soon going to tear that temple down. Because another temple has been erected by the coming of Christ and the coming of the Spirit. And the liveliness of faith that they, uh, that they work within the church uh, and their mighty power. Uh, so that the Spirit is standing up a new Israel, a new temple in display of the grace of God uh, invading uh, the church in great power, substance. Uh, and the Spirit establishes a new communion, uh, certainly in His outpouring here in Acts 2, a new communion uh, with universal and specific apostolic practices in verses 42 and 43. Uh, the universal practices are contained in, in verse 42. Uh, let me read that text again because it's something of a mirror that I would like to hold up before each of you as individuals respecting Grace Bible Church. What do we, what do we look like? Uh, given the presence of the Spirit in our hearts and in our assembly, what should we aspire to? And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Uh, the controlling of verbal form is uh, it's really a combination of two verbs. Simply, the English text is we're devoting. It was followed by four specifics indicating how that verbal form should be carried out. Uh, a, a key to the text is the, is, uh, is the kind of action that's occurring here. Uh, specifically, uh, uh, the kind of action speaks to duration. So this is an ongoing event in the life of the church. Uh, notice how the New American Standard translates it. They were continually devoting themselves. The word continually is just a stress of the kind of action. They were continuing in the four specifics that follow. And think about that in terms of your life as a priest in Grace Bible Church. Uh, the, uh, the particular verbal form is the imperfect tense. It's used ten times in this text. It's a pretty, fairly short text. Ten times the imperfect uh, tense. And, and the kind of action of the imperfect tense is uh, continuing action in past time. All that I'm saying in that is the uh, remarkable stress on continuity. This is not a every now and then. Uh, Every now and then we practice these things. Uh, once every other month. No, this is ongoing, continual. And that's really the stress of this uh, verbal, verbal action. Uh, they were continuing in the four elements, uh, indicating four defining essentials of the new community that the Spirit is working. Now, each element, interestingly enough, has a, has a, a definite article. 
uh, used in a generic way. Let's look at the four in verse 42. First is apostolic uh, teaching. Continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, The emphasis is teaching. But it's much more radical than that. It's teaching uh, the theology of the apostles received uh, uh, from Jesus uh, and the work of the Spirit and all of the prophetic ministry of the Old Testament. The biblical theology of uh, the Old Testament pouring into the new uh, by a flood in the presence of the Spirit. So it's not just teaching. This is not a lecture hall. Uh, it, it engages apostolic theology uh, in, in, in really two forms, systematic theology and biblical theology. Both need to be present as part of our church and worship engaging us as we connect to the past in biblical theology, as we connect to the reality, the majesty of who God is in systematic theology. Uh, we, we insist at Grace Bible Church that we replicate their content and their practice of teaching as an essential in this church. Let's look at an illustration of this in, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. Uh, context is uh, Paul's departing message uh, to uh, uh, the Ephesian elders, but uh, this practice of the Apostle Paul is everywhere in the book of Acts, and therefore it ought to be everywhere uh, in, in, uh, in, in our church, in the churches of Oklahoma City and America and the world. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God in faith, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I mean, Paul was comprehensive in his teaching. The entire counsel of God. It's part of our calling here at Grace Bible Church. And if you vacate this, this practice and the content for homilies, for sermonettes, for contemporary social justice and contemporary music and the like, uh, the church will slowly die and come to look like the world. And I know that's a pretty powerful uh, generality, but I, you know, I believe that it's really true. We'll just slowly over time and in degree, perhaps in a generational sense, uh, just become like all of the other moral religions of the world. Uh, So we we engage in systematic teaching, biblical and systematic theology, connecting with the apostles. Of course, in and of themselves, none of these elements that I mentioned uh, for your consideration are not wrong in and of themselves, but the essential is teaching uh, and, and the theology contained in Scripture. It's my considered belief, my passion, if you will, that the theology of semi-Pelagianism and Arminianism is totally insufficient to hold people, particularly our youth, 
upon the glory of God. And these are the dominant theologies of churches of our day. Kind of sad, but we, we, are, we are wandering from the theology of the Protestant Reformation. And over time and in degree, that will erode the faith. And again, they are inadequate to hold people given the exigencies of our time, particularly our young people, to be sure. Uh, well, I'm always amazed. I had, you know, my brother told me recently of a church he was attending. It's a pretty prominent church in uh, metropolitan Oklahoma City, in, in the larger complex. He went to the pastor and said, you know, what's with all the uh, uh, contemporary musical instruments and contemporary music? The pastor responded, that's, that's how we're going to hold our young people. I would just simply respond, really? What you hold anyone with is theology and the vitality of the Christian faith, the outpouring of the Spirit to engage the majesty of Son and Spirit. And uh, again, we use some contemporary music in our church. I'd be careful not to throw rocks, but uh, you reach young people by teaching. And you pray the Spirit would seize their hearts for the passion of the glory of God. And I would just suggest to you, uh, nothing wrong with trap sets and trumpets, but uh, I suggest to you it's more radical than that. And I think uh, Luke the Apostle is telling us the essential of teaching. Uh, Another uh, issue that I sometimes wonder about is uh, uh, some of our Protestant churches are riveted on uh, constant repetition of liturgy. And we use liturgy at Grace Bible Church. It connects us with the historic church. That's the essence of it. But when it overwhelms, I would commend to you the reality that nominalism uh, begins to prevail in the church. My favorite application of that is uh, a very prominent bishop in the Anglican Church in 19th century England. His name was J.C. Ryle. He was a profound teacher of Scripture. And his deep passion was the nominalism that gripped his church. My nominalism, I mean in, in name only. We just simply go through the actions. We bow when we're supposed to bow. Genuflect when we're supposed to genuflect. We don't really get any of the profound significance. It's really a matter of the heart. It's really interesting that, uh, you know how the Anglican Church in Ryle's day solved the problem of uh, nominalism? They promoted Ryle to be a bishop to get him out of the pulpit. That'll work every time. If you ever want a broken heart, you read J.C. Ryle's holiness. And it'll drive you to Christ in the Spirit. And that was what Ryle was trying to do. The fact that they played politics with him and promoted him to be a bishop to get him out of the pulpit is a telling sign. Uh, 
Today, uh, our millennials uh, uh, retreat to spiritualism and self-define the practice of, of any faith, whatever it is. That's as dangerous as some people self-medicating. Uh, and I'm not unmindful of the importance of spiritualism, but that's all you have. At the absence of teaching, you're, 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 in, a, you're in a bad way. I'm not saying that the scriptures are. So the practice of teaching is an essential. And so is the presence of the Spirit. Because the only way you can have uh, uh, one as a dynamic is uh, the presence of the other. Uh, the second is, again, repairing back to Acts chapter, 40, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, uh, to an uncommon fellowship and union. Uncommon. Uh, a couple times a year, I go to an OU football game. They have an uncommon union at those games. I mean, they're always standing up. They're always cheering. they got certain words they say over and over again. Uh, one side said boomer. The other side says sooner. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Uh, I've heard people call it a religious experience. In fact, I've even done that. It's uncommon. Uh, but we, we have that... Uh, uh, in the church, because of the Spirit. And we don't need signs. Uh, and everyone, if you will, is a cheerleader in their own way. Uh, because everyone is a believer priest, and everyone comes to engage in prayer. Uh, participate. That's really the essential. That there should be at Grace Bible Church an uncommon bond of which uh, we are engaged uh, because of... Uh, but the great work of the Spirit. And, and you vacate that. And we're going to argue about the choir robes and the instruments and all the stuff that really is not essential at all. And these are essentials. Uh, there's something of a beautiful expression of this uncommon union in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. In the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. So do we have one heart and soul throbbing for the glory of Jesus Christ? The Spirit of God coursing through our veins with passion for the work of the Spirit in our midst. Uh, it's what we should desire uh, uh, to, to engage here. Uh -huh. uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, we don't establish that bond, ladies and gentlemen. The Spirit establishes it in grace. And therefore, we should, in fear and trembling, be careful never to violate it in our uncommon fellowship. Because of Christ. Uh, we, we exercise charity and forgiveness uh, uh, for the uh, growing up of the church uh, in love. And that's what the Spirit works. He establishes that. Uh, I wish I could, but I can't, and therefore it's great that He does in grace. And it should be uncommon. That's the essential.
uh, it's a reminder to participate in that. Uh, as God enables you, has gifted you, and as a priest uh, in His church. Uh, uh, the third essential in verse 42 is the breaking of bread. Uh, this probably, I think, refers to the participation in common meals uh, that could also include uh, the sacramental meal or the sacrament of the Lord's table. And the hospitality and generosity is defined somewhat in verses 44 to 47. Uh, if you look at those texts, uh, they had all things in common. They were selling their property and possessions and sharing with those who might have need. A day by day continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Uh, I think the key there is hospitality and generosity. Essential in the life of the church. Uh, this text does not mean that they ate every meal together. Uh, they certainly had common meals. Perhaps uh, we should participate more in that. In terms of hospitality and generosity. And however, God enables you in the freedom of uh, your conscience to participate. It's the inworking of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, they continued steadfastly in prayer. Driving event in the life of the first century church. I mean, I remind you of verse 114, book of Acts. And they all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. The Apostle Paul uh, writes in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And the prevailing attitude here, again, of the kindness and generosity, thanksgiving, uh, should be prevalent everywhere. God is at work. Uh, I would simply remind you as you devote yourself to prayer, however God leads you uh, in your own devotions or however you practice it, uh, you, you should have daily and weekly prayer for members of this body. Because all of us are in, in profound need of every day. Every day. Uh, I happen to have the theology that I walk upon a razor's edge and at any moment I could slip off. Dependent. As generations ago, the person with polio was utterly dependent upon an iron lung to sustain life. And so, every day, we need the prayers of the saints preserving, keeping, uh, that we might walk faithfully in love, continuing, in uh, that tradition given to us by the apostles. Uh, the immediate effect, uh, verse 43, everyone had a sense of awe. Uh, many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. It's a great reminder that we, we should remember that uh, God has placed us here as a strategic outpost 
uh, to establish a relation, uh, pardon me, uh, reputation in, in our communities of uh, the new communion. It's a product of the work of God uh, that should foster a reverence and esteem for God. Let's uh, speak momentarily about uh, uh, this text. Particularly, the spirit communion includes specific uh, apostolic practices and signs and wonders. Uh, these, of course, uh, uh, engage the many uh, word and sign gifts that we, uh, that we will see in Acts. Uh, for example, in Acts chapter 3, there's a healing of a lame man by the apostles. There are in the church today uh, two general camps uh, with respect to uh, the signs and wonders of uh, the apostles uh, that we read in uh, the epistles and, of course, the uh, book of Acts. Uh, cessationism contends that these gifts have, uh, have ceased, and then continuationism is that they continue in the church today. Uh, I, I just simply tell you very quickly that I belong to the former. Uh, I believe that these uh, signs and wonders are particular expressions of uh, the apostles. And uh, I do not believe that that office continues today. I know some churches do. Grace Bible Church does not. Uh, we have no apostles in Grace Bible Church. Uh, and, and I say this with profound appreciation that I have no specific verse which proves my point because there's not one. I don't think the, uh, the apostles were engaging that reality. They give to the church the job of doing systematic theology. And that is a profoundly difficult and challenging task when it comes to uh, the gifts. Uh, in the uh, Pentecostal movement, there is uh, a holding to a second work of the grace of God evidenced by the speaking in tongues. I do not believe in a second work of the grace of the Spirit of God. I believe there is one profound, comprehensive, magnificent work of the grace of God when He invades our hearts. Not a second one. He accomplishes it all the first time. Uh, there are no mulligans when it comes to the Spirit. And I say that not in a humorous sense, but simply my theology. Uh, in mid-20th century, John Wimber was instrumental in uh, the vineyard of the third wave movement. Uh, there was the first wave in the book of Acts, the second wave in the Sousa Street Revival's uh, outbreak of the speaking in tongues, and then Wimber as a third wave. Now, I don't believe in waves. I believe in successive outpouring of the Spirit of God in the hearts as He regenerates, if you will, a continual wave. It never ends. Grace of God. Continually, every day. Uh, but the third wave uh, was evidenced in all of the miraculous gifts being present. Again, I'm a cessationist. I, I, I reject this. Uh, and, and I say that in fear and trembling, and I say it with uh, love and admiration of the brethren who hold it. I just simply do not 
first of all, somewhat subjective but hard critical uh, evidence is just to me lacking. Uh, many healing ministries are healing of soft tissue issues that you know no doctor could ever confirm with an x-ray. I mean, you just can't confirm. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we'll see this in the film that we're watching in our Sunday School American Gospel. Uh, another more particular exegetical argument in this regard is uh, I've never heard of the gift of tongues in which the miracle of a known foreign language is spoken by someone who has no education in that language whatsoever. Because that's the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation, New Testament. There were not unknown uh, languages, there were known languages. They're not ecstatic speech, there were known Gentiles' languages spoken in Acts 2, uh, used to announce judgment upon uh, present Jews. I mean, that's the New Testament context, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22. In 70 AD, I believe there's a terminal point of judgment upon national Israel. And once the judgment is completed to me, there's a powerful suggestion that there's no longer a continuing need to announce it. There's an announcement in Acts 2. It continues for a season in the New Testament. Acts, uh, pardon me, uh, 70 AD, there's no longer a need. It's... Uh, it's reached its uh, uh, culminating point. Uh, secondly, I think there's something of a biblical theological element with respect to the signs and wonders uh, because signs and wonders are used to announce uh, the Exodus. That's true in Exodus 7.3, Acts chapter 7, verse 16. Great signs and wonders announced that God was going to redeem His people from Egypt in grace. Uh, and they announced the new exodus. And that's, I think, the point in the New Testament. They announced the new exodus in Christ's death and resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit. And I do not think there's a need for the announcements to be ongoing uh, because uh, uh, they are uh, particular to intensify that something profound and new is occurring, and that's the new exodus in Jesus. By the way, if you're not a member of that exodus, it's the greatest exodus of all time. The greatest. I remember reading Leon Uris' book, Exodus. Man, that's chump history compared to the exodus in the Spirit. Moving to heaven by the grace of God every day. Moving to heaven. The completeness of the redemption of our bodies. Uh, Notice, uh, thirdly, and I think this is profoundly significant within the text, verse, verse 43, we're taking place through the apostles. Through the apostles. Once the twelve pass off of the scene, I, I believe uh, that office is uh, uh, no longer duplicated and therefore the agency of the signs and wonders diminishes and moves off of the scene. Uh, since uh, this office did not continue, neither did the signs and wonders associated with it. Uh, there is uh, there's an indirect reference to this in 
Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and verse 20. Uh, Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I believe the church of Jesus Christ has one foundation and one cornerstone. Not multiple foundations. And the signs and wonders uh, that are brought to us uh, by Jesus and the apostles is the foundation and Christ is the cornerstone of the church. You vacate Him and everything will crumble. Everything. Not literally. See, majestic, intense significance of Christ uh, being that stone that holds the weight of the building. His redemptive work. His saving power. His completed work. His finished work. So what a great work the church is with this uh, one foundation and one cornerstone. Yeah, but, but, but it's the reminder uh, that perhaps uh, the continuationists uh, perhaps have, uh, have gone too far. Well, beyond the, uh, the new communion that includes these specific apostolic practices and signs and wonders, the Spirit establishes a new communion in hospitality and generosity, verses 44 to 47. The, the historic context is uh, important here, biblical theology. I mean, as you know, in the Old Testament, there were specific uh, laws for, for tithing. Uh, specific laws for loving your neighbor. Uh, but all of these are brought into the New Testament, but accelerated in a profound way. And the acceleration is, uh, is the work of the Spirit of God. It could not occur. It didn't occur in the Old Testament either. It's the Spirit saved in the Old Testament. The Spirit uh, generated the proper understanding of the cultists in the Old Testament. But here it accelerates. Uh, for example, think of the, think of the uh, tithing of the Levitical priesthood. They were set aside, one tribe among the others. And they taught. And they engaged the cultists and the sacrifices. And they reminded New Testament, that's gone. We're the tribe. We're the priests. We do it every day. Pointing every day to the day of atonement in Jesus Christ. We are the Levitical priesthood. The acceleration is profound. And again, it's the work of the Spirit. It can only be genuine at Grace Bible Church by the work of the Spirit. I remind you of my my Sunday morning prayers. Lord, I think I'm going to be there. Will you be? And love of neighbor accelerated. New Testament. In the book of Acts, they sold property to help anyone in need. Notice verse 45, the concluding phrase, anyone who might have need. 
These actions are need-based. Uh, these beautiful actions uh, also come with uh, attitudes of gladness and sincerity. And that's really the key. Gladness and sincerity. It's on occasion, or every occasion you give, that's how you should give. Uh, I really only announce one time a year the importance of uh, giving. Perhaps I'm remiss in that, but that's when we're collecting money for Uganda and the Congo and India. I just trust the Spirit of God to work in the hearts of everyone that we would give in gladness and sincerity. And I understand it's more than a check. It's time, uh, kind expressions, a reminder that uh, there's a brother or sister that's in profound need for medical reasons, so we, we give our time in prayer. It's simply priceless in the life of the church. Uh, but I do remind you that these... Uh, actions of selling their homes were voluntary and occasional. And we'll study that further in the book of Acts. There's nothing mandated here. Uh, private property rights are not abandoned in the book of Acts. It's not a mandate for Christian monasticism or communism. Just simply the prevailing reality that Grace Bible Church, we take care of our own and as needs arise. There's a great reminder here historically. This is a new communion stood up by the power of the Spirit that we should uh, examine ourselves with, that we should aspire to look like uh, as, uh, as the Spirit of God works in our midst. And as you recognize that you're a priest, that God has gifted you, that uh, you're so engaged. The actions and attitudes, uh, again, uh, the freedom of your conscience, the power of the Spirit. For centuries, ladies and gentlemen, in secular culture, men and women have tried utopian experiments that counterfeit our faith. That's really what they are, counterfeits to our faith. I really believe that in our contemporary culture, uh, this passionate desire uh, for socialism and bigger and bigger government is just simply a counterfeit for the Christian faith. But all of these utopian experiments uh, fail. You know why? Because they don't have the Spirit. And ours is no experiment. It's the flood of the Spirit that comes from Acts 2. We're not a counterfeit. We're the real deal. Particularly as we exhibit uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Uh, my favorite in American history is the Brook Farm Experiment of 1840. Led by a Unitarian his specific motive was to establish a new Jerusalem. Unitarians cannot establish a new Jerusalem because Unitarians are heretics and they don't have the Spirit of God 
and the Brook Farm experiment failed after five years. The church does not fail because of the Spirit and the outpouring of the Spirit in our hearts. And I remind you that phrase, outpouring of the Spirit in our hearts, is the same verb used of the outpouring of the Spirit, book of Acts. We don't fail because uh, our works or whatever. We don't fail because of the Spirit and the grace of God coursing through our spiritual veins, riveting us to the cornerstone, causing us to walk by faith. The Spirit also causes growth in the new communion, latter part of verse 47. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I remind you of the subject of the verb. The Lord was adding. I, I can't add. Only the Lord can. That's why the elders here are very cautious about uh, engaging in practices to wear people down, to sing them out, to tire them out, to get them to come to sit in a certain seat. All of the practices of Charles Finney of 19th century American revivalism, it just simply does not work. In fact, do you know the outcome of Finney and the great revivals and Northeastern United States, historical theologians refer to those areas as burned out districts because it was the product of not the Spirit of God. And you get people doing a bunch of physical actions, vacate the Spirit, and you'll burn them out. And they'll drop out. And that's exactly what happened. When the Spirit works, there are no dropouts. There's a new communion forged by grace, riveted together, generosity and love, intensification of the biblical theology of the old, and continued devotion to teaching and to prayer, fellowship, the Lord's table. Uh, so it's the reality that the sovereignty of the Spirit causes numbers. Remind you of a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. So then neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. God who causes the growth. Many, uh, many churches give their pastors a mandate to cause growth. I'm so thankful that you never gave me that mandate. Because it's something I can't work. I can make physical events happen, but not spiritual events. It's a great reminder. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, uh, which has come to you in the reference of uh, the relative which is a reference to verse 5, the word of truth in the gospel. So the gospel has come to you just as in all the world and also is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even it has been doing in you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel. The simple proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His ransom. His pardon. The grace of the Spirit. 
Otherwise, it'll all fade. We don't fade because the Spirit energizes the new communion. It's a beautiful illustration of this uh, in a revival that occurred in uh, 1980 in Thailand. There was a revival uh, in a refugee camp in Thailand, and particular camp was uh, filled with Khmer Rouge uh, soldiers. Khmer Rouge were the worst of the lot. Uh, they were the killers that Pol Pot used to exterminate some millions of Cambodians. So these guys knew they were murderous killers. You didn't have to tell them they were sinners. They knew they were sinners. You didn't have to convince them that they did terrible wrong. They knew it instinctively in their hearts. I mean, blood was all over them. You start killing millions, you know. There were some very unusual players in this revival 1980 refugee camp, Cambodia. There was a worn-out Methodist minister who still understood the gospel and who translated the Cambodian language uh, from uh, the English uh, Bible. And there was a uh, refugee in that camp who uh, he was not educated, but he knew to read. Uh, and the day after day, he would stand on a crummy platform uh, and read the translation work of this Methodist minister who had translated the Gospel of John. And so this uh, virtually uneducated, other than the ability to read, uh, a refugee stood up on a, on a box and read, simply read the Gospel of John over and over. He would start from beginning to end. When he came to the end, he would start over. God began to work. There's another unlikely participant in that revival. There's a medical doctor from America who, uh, in full health, went uh, to Thailand. But he was a man who uh, suffered severe depression, had bouts of it. And when he got there, he became severely sick, profoundly depressed. So much so, he barely had the strength to share the simplicity of the gospel that Christ ransomed himself for sinners. And that's virtually all he could do. Thousands of Khmer Rouge soldiers came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what's genuine. That's what's real. That's the new communion started by the Spirit. In one way, I know it's, uh, it was genuine. It's because uh, as they came to faith, they petitioned the Thai government to build a church. And the Thai government said, well, you can build a church, but first you have to build a Buddhist temple. So they build the temple, then they built a church. And no one goes to the former, and everyone goes to the latter. And guess what? That's an expression the power of the Spirit, people going to church, living out Acts chapter 2 and verse 42.
And so, what a great work. God does not just in Acts 2. In our church, refugee camp in Thailand, because that's the way the Spirit works. Gathering, causing the growth, gathering men and women by the saving power of Jesus Christ, giving themselves by the energizing work of the Spirit in Acts 2.42. And it is what should be exhibited in our church, present then, present today, Oklahoma City. Uh, we would pray that uh, perhaps the reputation would expand as it has, I'm sure, in many other churches in Oklahoma City. But this is the real deal. It's what the Spirit infuses. Uh, grace of God in Jesus Christ uh, is imputed. But the grace of the Spirit is infused. And this is what we should look like. Uh, this is what we should be. And uh, so on the mornings, uh, you perhaps give a measure of attention to your appearance and your dress, and nothing wrong with that. You have to do that to understand. But on occasion, think of Grace Bible Church and uh, the work of the Spirit. Your participation as a priest. Generosity, kindness, love. Uh, because the Spirit works, and this is what the Spirit does. And may He and His grace continue to do it in our church uh, every day, and certainly every Sunday. And may God be gracious uh, to these ends.